Welcome to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports' most valuable podcast presented by 4 for 4 Football. I am 4 for 4's senior DFS editor, Chris Raybon, joined as always by my partner in crime, Mr. TJ Hernandez. What's good, TJ? What's up, Chris? Just uh, getting ready for for the back nine of the season, really. We're we're in week 10, Um, been playing some qualifiers. So this is the last week to qualify for some of the the bigger tournaments. Uh, King of the Beach, this is last week. So I'll be uh, throwing some extra money at those this week. But uh, man, just getting ready. Sounds good. Uh, Upset I jinxed Deshaun Watson last week. I think the first (laughs) thing I said on this podcast was... I was happy that there was a slate with him on it. And of course, he goes down midweek, but hopefully that doesn't happen this week. I'm not going to mention anybody by name, but I will mention that the music that played us in was Wild Out by The Locks off their 2000 album, We Are the Streets. I actually have a story about that one. Back when I was in Syracuse, Styles P of the locks came to perform at the shine student center. Cuse alums will know what that is, but they had a fence up. I've never seen a fence before, but they had a fence up between like styles and the stage. And you know, I don't know why, maybe because he was such a gangster rapper at the time or what? I don't know. I've never <laughs> seen that before. The, the presidential treatment. They had the bulletproof. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. But the crazy thing was, He's also the first artist that completely disregards the fence and he just like comes. So I don't even know if he didn't climb the fence. He must have came around, but he comes off the stage, which is probably exactly what they did not want. And he goes into the crowd and me and my boy are standing pretty close in the middle. And he just randomly walks up to us and wraps his whole verse to Wild Out um, <laughs> with his hand on our shoulder. Like one hand, one of his hands is on my shoulder. One of his hands is on, on my boy's shoulder. So that was one of the highlights of my college career that I was sober enough to remember. Um, <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> let's get right into the podcast. We've got a lot to talk about. We'll talk about the position by position picks for the main slate. We'll break down the primetime slate with the Patriots and the Broncos, and the Panthers, and the Miami Dolphins. Also want to remind you guys, if you rate and review DFS MVP on iTunes and send a screenshot to DFS MVP at 444.com, you can get 25% off a 444 DFS subscription. And the subscription's been working out really well for a lot of people. It's not just the content. I mean, I know TJ, you wrote up uh, Terrence Williams and Cole Beasley last mm-hmm. week. I know T-Will had 140 yards. Beasley had a couple of touchdowns. I wrote up Jared Goff, but actually the the tools are working out really well. I talked about this in my Raybon's review column for this week, but if you look at the winning millionaire maker lineup on DraftKings, Dak Prescott, he was our top projected value at among quarterbacks. Uh, Todd Gurley, Alvin Kamara, and Carlos Hyde were all in that lineup. They were ranked second, fifth, and seventh in our probability to hit GPP value rankings. Doug Baldwin was third among wide receivers in projected GPP value probability. T.Y. Hilton was tops among wide receivers under 5K in that same metric. And Jack Doyle was third among tight ends in that metric as well. So uh, a lot of uh, 
players in that winning lineup that did well, um, that you could kind of arrive at by, by using those four for four tools. And even Robert Woods had, uh, one of the highest, uh, GPP. He's the highest rated value among wide receivers under 5k as well mm-hmm. for us. And he had a high GPP leverage score as well. So, um, a lot of tools that have really been helping me out. And I know helping a lot of our subscribers out. So definitely. Take advantage of that 25% discount by rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes and sending a screenshot to DFS MVP at 444.com. Let's get into week 10. TJ, what's up? Quarterback. Yeah, starting off with the uh, quarterback position, a, a game that I think a lot of people are going to be looking to uh, for quite a bit of value plays that are going to open up some stuff for the uh, the studs we're going to talk about later is the game between the the Jets and the Buccaneers. And uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's going to be starting for Jameis Winston. Looks like Winston's going to be out for, they said, a few weeks. So unclear what that timetable is, but uh, Fitzpatrick's going to get this start against uh, a really vulnerable Jets defense this week. He's 6100 on FanDuel, $4,900 on DraftKings. Uh, like we were talking about uh, on the intro, using the, the 4 for 4 tools to kind of guide our decision-making in terms, at least in terms of building out our player pool. Uh, Fitzpatrick's the top three projected value on both sides. He's the top projected value on FanDuel. And like I mentioned, Jets uh, have really been struggling against the pass this year. They're ranked 31st in uh, quarterback-adjusted fantasy points allowed to the position, and they are a bit of a, a pass funnel. We've been talking about that quite a bit in the past few weeks. And Chris, you've been uh, running those numbers in your slate breakdowns. Uh, the the Jets rank top 10 in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. But as I mentioned, 31st first quarterbacks, 28th first receivers, 29th first tight end. So uh, they've really been struggling in the passing game. They've allowed the most touchdowns to the position. And uh, they're one of five teams to allow a 6% or higher passing rate. And that's uh, they haven't really faced many good quarterbacks. I mean, uh, we mentioned that we adjust for strength of schedule. Tom Brady's the only top 12 fantasy quarterback that the Jets have faced all season and still giving up those numbers. So that's why uh, looking at those those adjusted numbers really helps a lot. Uh, even though Fitzpatrick uh, is the backup, Tampa Bay has the highest neutral pass rate in the league. I think some people might be uh, a little nervous about rostering uh, Fitzpatrick, especially with, with Mike Evans out, but I think this is just a, a Jets uh, defense that's very vulnerable, and the weapons that Fitzpatrick has, some of them we're going to get into later, I think are fine, and uh, just a, a little cushion is the Jets allow the second most rushing yards to opposing quarterbacks. Now, they have faced Tyrod twice, so that uh, kind of skews it a little bit, but it's worth noting because Fitzpatrick has historically been kind of like a, a sneaky Konami note Konami code play. He's not going to get you 50, 60 yards, but there's quite a few games where he's going to get you 20 to 30. And uh, that definitely uh, softens the uh, the cushion of, of the floor for him a little bit. Yeah, I think Fitzpatrick definitely opens up things if you can slot him in there and the matchup is certainly good. I'll go with Matthew Stafford of the Detroit Lions at QB. He's got the easiest matchup on the board. The Cleveland Browns rank dead last in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to the quarterback position. Stafford is 6,800 on DraftKings, 8,200 over on FanDuel for the season. He's averaging 276 and a half passing yards per game with a 1.8 to 0.5 TD to interception per game ratio. Stafford's had a, a bit of an inconsistent season. He had the four touchdowns in week one, only 21 attempts in week two against the Giants, but he did throw two touchdowns. Had a tough game against the Vikings 
just 209 yards and no touchdowns there. But in his last four games since then, 331.3 yards per game and 1.75 touchdowns per game. I think when he, the fact that he is facing a team like the Browns, the Lions are double digit favorites. So there is always a chance he has another game kind of like that Giants game where he was very efficient, 15 of 21, but only through the two touchdowns. But it's also encouraging that last week in a, in a game where the Packers offense really didn't get much going with Brett Hunley, Stafford still put up big numbers, 361 yards and three touchdowns on the road. In that game, I think the emergence of Marvin Jones is really helping Stafford because Marvin Jones gives Stafford a target further downfield. In the past, Stafford's top two targets were really Golden Tate and Theo Riddick, and those guys really do a lot of work closer to the line of scrimmage. But Marvin Jones, when he's getting targeted, he's getting targeted 10, 15, 20 yards down the field, and he's making catches. I think he's got six catches in four straight games, really coming on strong. I know last season... Word was that he got hurt early in the season and it kind of affected his play down the stretch because Jones was actually doing very well in the first month of last season as well. So we're kind of seeing that Marvin Jones again. I think that's really the key in terms of giving Stafford his upside and maybe even a little bit more of a floor than than we saw kind of at the end of last season and, and earlier this season. The Lions have an implied point total of 28. That's second highest on the slate. We know that correlates somewhat well with quarterback production more than most other predictive um, metrics we have on hand before the game and Stafford I mentioned those GPP odds that I talked about earlier for the Millie maker well Stafford in terms of cash game odds he is actually tops for both sites for quarterbacks in terms of odds to hit cash game value so if you want to see the complete list of odds you can subscribe to four for fours DFS sub but Matthew Stafford looks like he's in a really good spot this weekend against the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, I mean, if if I end up uh, going off of the really, really cheap quarterbacks, I think Stafford's the first place I'm looking. Uh, I mean, if uh, you kind of mentioned that uh, you might be worried about if uh, if he just has kind of a low volume game, and I think people still kind of get it mixed up where they they might look at this game and think, well, what if they uh, they being the Lions blow out. Uh, the Browns and, and they stop throwing, but we've talked about this before. Usually if that's the case where a team is sitting their starters in the fourth quarter, the way they got there usually means that the quarterback had a good game anyway. So I, I definitely wouldn't, um, wouldn't worry about Detroit blowing out Cleveland and, and not playing yeah. staff because of that. Yeah, great point. And on top of that, Cleveland has a very strong run defense. They're one of the top mm-hmm. run defenses in the league. So just from a game planning perspective, we know that Detroit under Jim Bob Cooter, and under Jim Caldwell, period, has been, I believe, the most pass-heavy team in the league since Caldwell mm-hmm. took over. So, um, you know, sometimes you have these kind of funnel situations and they don't always go as planned because you're never going to have a team that's, that you know, not every team just attacks a defense according to that defense's weakness, as crazy as it sounds. Some teams want to do what they do well or want to do what they think they do well and they don't really care um, what what's going on with the defense. But um, this kind of just... For, for Detroit, it kind of just fits with, you know, they're a pass heavy team. They're going against a team that's strong against the run. We saw Amir Abdullah have some fumbling issues. I think Detroit is going to come out aggressively, um, throwing the ball in this game. So Stafford should get his numbers. Yeah. It's a really, really good call this week. Um, running back. 
I'm going to move on to running back. I'm going to go with the, the highest priced running back uh, on both sites. Le'Veon Bell's 9400 on FanDuel, $9,800 on DraftKings. And I, I think people will automatically look at his price and uh, question whether or not they should be rostering the most expensive player on the slate. But we've seen this in the past with Le'Veon Bell and, and David Johnson back when, uh, back when he was active that it's really hard for the sites to keep up with the volume that we see from this type of running back. It's just so rare that these guys get the type of workload that Le'Veon Bell gets. So even despite his, his really expensive price, he's still our top projected FanDuel value. Uh, Pittsburgh's favored by 10 and a half points with a, a 27 uh, point implied total against the Colts. And uh, the Colts have been a team that we just want to attack with an offense. Uh, they rank in the bottom 10 in schedule adjusted FanDuel fantasy points allowed to every skill position. And uh, I mean, at this point, Le'Veon is is basically Pittsburgh's entire offense. He's one of two players that is accounting for at least half of his team's touches and uh, his touch shares at 56%. That's 5% higher uh, than Ezekiel Elliott, who's the only other player above 50%. But that, I mean, that 5% gap is is pretty huge. So Le'Veon's just getting all of the work, uh, the Colts, there's a million ways you can say that they're bad. They're, they're tied for the most rushing touchdowns, most total touchdowns allowed to opposing running backs. And uh, Pittsburgh has really shifted to a run-heavy attack. They're, only three teams have a higher red zone rush rate uh, in the league this year. And Le'Veon leads all running backs in both red zone and opportunities inside the 10-yard line. So he's just getting a ton of work near the goal line. And I mean, this is just a smash spot. And we've we talked about Fitzpatrick up top and how there are quite a few values. Um, I, I think it's going to be relatively easy to fit Le'Veon into your lineups this week. Yeah, it's definitely a smash spot for Bell. And just by chance, it so happens that a lot of the stud running backs are in pretty decent spots, which I think Bell will still be highly owned. but the fact that there's pretty much four other stud running backs that you can roster, that you can make a good case for rostering anyway. I think Bell's ownership, there's kind of a ceiling on it. Like, you know, I don't think it will get into that crazy 40% range that we see sometimes when there's only one good stud running back sure. on the slate. So, sure. Like Bell this week a lot. Also, like Jordan Howard a lot. He's 6,100 on DraftKings and 7,200 on FanDuel. He's going against the Packers defense. That ranks 24th in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to the running back position on the season. Howard's averaging 20.3 carries, 82.5 yards, and .5 touchdowns rushing. And then he's also averaging 1.8 catches on 2.6 targets for another 9.8 receiving yards. His 92.5 total yards per game is 10th in the league and 7th among running backs on this slate. Total yards per game, when you're looking at past stats in a season total yards per game for running backs is actually the most predictive stats of future fantasy production so that's something to think about there since Mitchell Trubisky took over as quarterback it's been well documented the Bears have been largely trying to hide him Howard's averaging 25.8 touches per game in Mitchell Trubisky's starts and I really like this matchup for Howard not just because he's a home favorite not just because the Green Bay Packers are a bottom 10 team in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed, but also because Green Bay is allowing a 50% third down conversion rate over its last three games. That's third worst in the league on the season, 44.4%, sixth worst in the league. So 
it's a good matchup in terms of Chicago being able to stay on the field. And if Chicago's able to stay on the field, they're just going to, if they get a new set of downs, they're going to run the ball. That's what they do. You can bet if Chicago has a, a set of downs and Howard's going to get the ball on either first or second, if not both. So I really like the fact that Green Bay's struggling to get off the field on third down. And then the other side of the ball, the Bears defense has really come on allowing only a 26.2% third down conversion rate over its last three games. That's fifth best in the league. And on the flip side of that, Green Bay in their last three games with Brett Hunley, they're only converting 27% on third down. So that's third worst in the league. So it looks like, at least on paper, Green Bay is going to have trouble staying on the field. Chicago is going to be able to stay on the field on third down. And what that's going to do is allow the Bears to dominate the time of possession and Jordan Howard already has a 37 touch game this season and his low over Mitch Trubisky's last four starts is, is 19 touches. So Jordan Howard has 30 touch upside with a matchup where the, his team could really dominate the uh, time of possession. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're just talking about with uh, Stafford, how we want to kind of look for that situation where uh, a team's game plan matches up with uh, either a matchup or, or how uh, a game flow is going to go. And ever since I mean, well, for over the course of the entire season, um, the, the bears have the highest run rate in the league uh, in neutral situations. They're the only team running over 50% of the time when the game's within a single score. And then since Trubisky took over, Jordan Howard is averaging over 56% of the team touches. And for reference, that's Le'Veon Bell's uh, season total. Le'Veon Bell leads the league with with 56% of team touches. So uh, over the last few weeks, he's been lockstep with Bell in terms of touches. So as favorites, able to, to sustain drives like you talked about, I mean, pretty much everything lines up to Chicago doing exactly what they want to do with Jordan Howard in the running game. Absolutely. Just, uh, you know, for people that maybe haven't rostered Howard as much, I know he's been an underdog in a ton of games. I know he's on a, a low scoring offense, but this is the first time I believe they've been favorites with Trubisky at quarterback. And it's, it's the time that you want to uh, get Howard into your lineups. Yeah, definitely. So uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and jump to wide receivers now and wide receiver. Like we've been doing for most of the season, we'll both give one Fandle, one DraftKings wide receiver. And, and starting on Fandle, uh, Antonio Brown at 9,300. Uh, on, on the podcast, we always try to give uh, maybe some picks that aren't necessarily some, some obvious plays. But on Fandle this week, uh, I, I think the play is to get Antonio Brown and Le'Veon in your lineups together. And I think it's it's actually quite easy to do if you start messing with lineups. Uh, Antonio Brown is obviously going to be... Uh, the most consistent, if not one of the most consistent wide receivers in the league. He leads the league in targets. He's the only player in the league to see at least 20% of team targets in every game this season. And he's one of five wide receivers with a 30% target share or more inside the red zone. So I, I know I kind of harped on how much of a, a good spot it is for Le'Veon because Pittsburgh's switching uh, to a more run-heavy attack. But when they are throwing, it's still going through Antonio Brown. And uh, he he not only leads the league in, in targets, but he leads the league in, in share of air yards, a number that we've discussed a little bit uh, on, on the pod this week. It's uh, a number you could find on airyards.com from our friend uh, Josh Hermsmeyer. And basically, it's just a, a really predictive stat. It combines uh, not just how many 
targets a player is getting, but how far those targets are down the field. And and we've shown on four for four that deeper targets are typically more efficient for fantasy scoring. And the Colts have allowed the most plays of 15 plus yards through the air this year, the most yards per pass attempt. And uh, I mean, in, in case anybody hasn't noticed or just really hasn't been paying attention to the individual matchups and might be worried about uh, old Vontae Davis being good. He, he's not good anymore. The Colts actually benched him last week. Uh, so uh, a secondary that's already really struggling, their quote-unquote best corner is, is getting benched. And uh, with all that, Antonio is our top projected wide receiver on Fandle. So like I said, I, I think you could fit him uh, both in Antonio and Le'Veon on Fandle. Uh, moving over to DraftKings, uh, value receiver that I really like is Robert Woods. We we saw him uh, have a big game last week with Jared Goff against the Giants, and uh, the the Rams are going to face a a similarly uh, weak secondary this week. And Robert Woods did see a seven hundred dollar price hike, but we still have him projected as a top five value on the main slate. He's he's been one of the more consistent receivers in the league. Uh, Goff has spread it around quite a bit in this offense, but Woods saw six targets and uh, six plus targets and five straight games leading up to last week. And he probably would have eclipsed that last week, but uh, that game just got out of hand and and the Rams didn't have to throw much. So uh, even on five targets, Wood still scored twice. But I, I mentioned his consistency. He's scored double-digit PPR points in five of six games. He still does lead the team in targets. I said they spread it around a little bit, but uh, if I can get the target leader against a defense that uh, ranks 29th in wide receiver adjusted fantasy points allowed, that's allowing the second highest touchdown rate through the air. I think that's a, that's a pretty safe bet. Right. And going back to Vontae and the Colts for, for those people out there that I know most casual NFL fans aren't probably paying as much attention to all these cornerbacks and things like that as we are. And just for people out there to know, Vontae Davis wasn't even the Colts' best cornerback this season. Mm-hmm. And he, he hasn't really been all season. It's Rashawn Melvin actually has been their top cornerback. He's been playing really well. He's uh catch rate barely above 50%. He's got two picks, NFL passer rating of only 65.9 allowed. Vontae Davis was up there close to 100. So um, for, for everybody out there, Vontae Davis has long kind of been a shell of himself, at least as far as this year. And even going back to last year, um, it's, been, it's been Rashawn Melvin. Melvin's actually been out. He missed a few games, um, which actually hurt the coach defense even more. But even with him in there, Antonio Brown, obviously much better player than, than Melvin is. But just just so people know, um, it's been it's Rashawn Melvin. It's not Vontae. Mm-hmm. Uh, for my wide receivers, Robbie Anderson on DraftKings, he's 5,200 double-digit DK points in four straight games. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the best matchup. Four wide receivers, 32nd in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to the position. I know Brent Grimes, their top cover corner, will make his return this week. He tends to be stationary. Anderson will move around a bit, um, but Grimes, another guy, reputation is a lot better than what he's actually played um, this season. He hasn't p- played particularly well. He's also been banged up, so we'll see about that. But regardless, this defense is one to exploit. Anderson is a player that he comes in handy, especially on a site like DraftKings because he's still in that kind of medium, mid-tier price range, but he's tied for seventh in the NFL in market share of air yards up at 39%. And what that does is, he doesn't need many targets to 
potentially get over 100 yards and get you that three-point mm-hmm. bonus on DraftKings. He's also leading the Jets in targets here at 21%. Now, that 21% is one of the lower numbers for a team lead, but nevertheless, um, he's second on the team in red zone targets here at 19%. And uh, he's the only Jet besides Austin Safari and Jenkins to see multiple targets inside the 10-yard line. And if you go back to those odds of hitting cash game value on 4 for 4, Robbie Anderson on DraftKings, second among wide receivers priced under $6,000. And the only wide receiver priced higher is the one I'm about to talk about for FanDuel, actually. But he's also a great play on DraftKings, and that is Mohamed Sanu. He's 5,900 on FanDuel. I think we talked about him. Uh, once or twice before on the podcast, but still leading the Atlanta Falcons in red zone targets with eight. The only Falcon to convert more than one of his red zone targets into touchdowns. He's got three red zone scores on the year. He's got a 21% target share. If you remove uh, the game where he got hurt against the Buffalo Bills, Dallas Cowboys not faring too well against the wide receiver position, 23rd and schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed there. And Sanu has 65 or more yards in all three of his other matchups that were for teams ranked below 22nd in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. Those green matchups, if you're a 4 for 4 DFS subscriber, Sanu over 65 yards in all three of those green matchups so far. So has another good spot this week. And he's fourth in cash odds on FanDuel. I mentioned he's... uh I mentioned Sanu is actually um, first among wide receivers under 6K on DK. He's also fourth among all wide receivers in odds of hitting cash game value on FanDuel. And he's the only wide receiver on FanDuel in the top five in odds of hitting cash game value that is priced under 7,600. Sanu way down there at 5,900. So a good value play that can kind of fill out your lineups and gives you a good chance for a a red zone touchdown, which you know you need on FanDuel because it's just a lot of variance at the wide receiver position. Yeah, I want to go back to a couple things. Uh, one, with Robbie Anderson, you mentioned his likelihood of hitting 100 yards. And I, I think sometimes people get a little caught up in on DK uh, looking at targets. And obviously, we do want to look at volume first and foremost, but it is a full PPR site. And I think sometimes that full PPR scoring overshadows the fact that uh, that, that 100-yard bonus is a really big deal. I mean, if you, if you are looking at a scoreboard while the game are going on DK. If you are are chasing that bonus really close, and uh, if your receiver gets a, a ten yard catch uh, to go over the bonus, that's a five point play, and you'll see yourself jump a lot of people on a leaderboard uh, once you hit that bonus. So, looking for the likelihood of that, I think is probably an edge on DraftKings that a lot of people aren't exploiting as much as they should. And then as far as Sanu goes, he's going to be playing opposite Julio with a lower leg injury. And and Chris, I, I know you've done some studies. And I'm not sure you have if you have the numbers uh, in front of you right now, but if you can just give a, a, a quick rundown of why those lower leg injuries um, hurt receivers so much. And I think I've heard you mention that Julio has been one of the most susceptible to it. Uh, we might have just talked about it in passing on the podcast before, but uh, that's something that really hampers wide receivers and Snoo could benefit uh, even more even if Julio does play. Yeah, I got I pulled the numbers up. Do you know exactly what uh what's Jones injury like what body they're, part they're actually is it just, just called the they're leg? They're calling it a lower leg. <laughs> well, um I I think I heard somewhere that it might kind of be a high ankle sprain, so mm-hmm. wide receivers playing 
while after being on the injury report in a given week with an ankle minus 11.8% in terms of their PPR production compared to games where they're not on the injury report. Um, and then, yeah, you mentioned it, TJ, just a bunch of the other lower leg injuries. I mean, a knee injury is minus 5%, hamstring minus 8%, foot injury minus 20%, groin minus 17%, hip um, not as much of an effect. Thigh injury though, minus 8%, calf minus 7%, and toe toe minus 35%, quad minus 26%. So, I mean, I think it's an ankle, which would be around minus 12%, but you don't really want to mess with those receivers with those lower leg injuries, especially not in cash games. I mean, I guess in tournaments, a 12% swing, if, if a guy, you know, is going to hit a ceiling and a ceiling is 30 and, you know, he loses 12%, he can mm-hmm. still have a ceiling value. But um, yeah, Julio, when he's been hurt, it's been, it's been a lot of him as a decoy a lot of the time. Um, so we really have to kind of monitor that injury to see how serious it is. Cause I, I do actually remember though, I think it was last year's playoffs when Julio came into a game with a, with the injury tag and he just went crazy on the Green Bay Packers. So um, it's one of those things where, again, I think cash games, it's, it's kind of more of an avoid. And then in terms of how you're going to allocate your tournament exposure, you just want to kind of monitor the injury, kind of get a sense of how serious it is. Yeah, for sure. And and uh, just a, a side note, Devontae Freeman's on the injury report too, so that could take away another potential target. But uh, we'll go ahead and, and jump ahead to tight ends now. Tight end. Um, I'm going to a guy that's just been getting steady volume as prices climbing, but uh, pretty much the main pass catcher in his offense and at this point, and that's Jack Doyle, uh, 6100 on Fanduel, 5200 on DraftKings. Uh, I mentioned he's he's seen quite a bit of a, a price hike over the last three weeks, but uh, his volume is uh, justifying it. He's still a top three projected Fanduel value this week. Uh, our top DraftKings value as far as four for four projections go. Going back to the Colts bye week, only five players are averaging more targets per game than Doyle and uh, his usage, not even just in targets, just as part of the offense is as high as any tight end in the league. He's the only tight end besides Gronk to play at least 90% of his team's snaps when active and uh, of the, and also be targeted on at least 10% of those snaps. You can look that up on the, uh, on the snap app on uh, 444.com and the target app as well. Those numbers. So uh, not only is he almost always on the field, but when he is, he's getting targeted uh, at about as high of a rate as you can. So, I mean, the, the matchup isn't great, but we know that the, the, the Colts are probably going to be in a spot where they have to throw and uh, Doyle can really make up for that bad matchup with the volume. Right. I think I tweeted about this, but Doyle over his last four games is essentially putting up numbers that would make him a top 10 fantasy wide receiver. Mm -hmm. So at that price and at that position, it's really hard to fade him um, pretty much across the board because he could just, regardless of efficiency, get so much volume that he just renders any tough matchup or whatever essentially a moot point because you know if you're getting 12 targets and catching eight of them you know for 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 70 yards I mean that's a good day even before you score score a touchdown so yeah and um, you you talked about it oh sorry I was gonna say you talked about it in the write-up you talked about it in the Raybonds review write-up this week that it's just pricing has been such that you even though we want to pay down for for uh tight end when we can there just aren't a lot of 
tight ends to pay down for. Uh, pricing's really caught up to the position this year. And I mean, we also see it reflected in ownership projections last few weeks and this week as well. Uh, the, the players that are expected to be the highest owned tight end are the most expensive. So you're not, uh, in the past, if you paid up for tight end, you're, uh, doing yourself a disservice in terms of overall roster construction as well, which can hurt you. But a lot of people are paying up for the position right now. So you're not really, uh, losing much and there just aren't a lot of values. Right. And for four for four subscribers, if you haven't read Raybon's review this week, um, skip down to the takeaways. Even if you don't want to go through the lineup review, I really wrote up some important key stuff on uh, how DraftKings changed their pricing this year a bit, just kind of raised the floors of viable plays. So you won't find as many of those plays in, in that 3K range or even that 4K range. And I just kind of talked about how it's affecting the winning lineups and how it's affecting roster construction and just some really key takeaways there um, that I'm pretty sure will help you um, as you construct your lineups going forward. So make sure you check that out if you haven't already. But for my tight end, I'll go with Cameron Brait. He's 4,100 on DraftKings, 5,700 on FanDuel. And TJ, you alluded to it. You know, Mike Evans is going to be gone. This Jets defense has been extremely, excuse me, extremely vulnerable to the pass. They rank 30th in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to the tight end position. Mike Evans had a 23% target share for the Bucks. He will not be playing. So, Braid is probably going to take some of that load. He was already tied with Evans for the team lead in red zone market share with 27%. So Cameron Braid, he actually is second in the NFL to Jordy Nelson since the start of last season in red zone touchdowns caught. So Cameron Braid always has that touchdown equity. The matchup is there, could get a bump in volume and Braid has 60 has, excuse me, has five games already of 60 receiving yards or more. That is tied for the lead at the position with Zach Ertz and Travis Kelsey. So a lot to like about Cameron Brait this weekend. The one thing I'll say, you know, we always try to look for, you know, what can go wrong with these plays. I know that Cameron Brait did really have great chemistry with Jameis Winston. And now you're going to Ryan Fitzpatrick, which could be a little different, but I just think the matchup is too good. And with, the, especially with the projected bump in volume, I mean, I think Brait would have been a good play even with Evans healthy, but with the projected bump in volume. And I also know some people are a little bit concerned with Morris Claiborne potentially shadowing Deshaun Jackson. Uh, I'm not sure I'm super concerned about that, but just a lot of things pointing to Brait getting a lot of opportunities in a good matchup in this game. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm, I'm downgrading Brait because of, of Fitzpatrick. I mean, I think that'd be, a, that's a little bit of, of a presumptuous jump. I think, uh, one thing people might point to about Braid is his snap share. It's been a, a little, uh, flimsy the last few weeks, right around that 60% mark, but he has the highest target rate in terms of target per snap of any tight end in the league. It's, it's above 15%. And if, if we look at that number relative to a snap rate, that means his, his involvement in the offense, his, um, his snap rate times his target rate puts him on par with the guys that I talked about, like the Gronks and the, uh, and the Doyles and the Wittens about nine to 10% of the team's plays, uh, he's being targeted on. So his, his target uh, rate is so high that, uh, I wouldn't necessarily put as much stock into his snap share as you might with some other players. Yeah. He's 10th over the last two weeks in route r- routes run among 
tight ends tied with Jason Witten. So I'm um, still getting a decent amount of routes there. Yeah, just just a really fantastic receiving tight end. So I, I love that call this week. Probably my personal top tight end play. Uh, moving on to my defense of the week. We talked about this matchup already. The Bears are 4 for four's top projected defense on both sites this week. $4,300 on FanDuel, uh, $3,000 on DraftKings. Defense, an, another spot that uh, both sites have actually been able to price quite effectively this year. So uh, seeing Bears price down a little bit uh, this week is is makes them kind of the the clear value they're five and a half point home favorites um only two teams have a lower projected team total than green bay i think you mentioned that a little bit earlier green bay has the seventh highest adjusted sack rate allowed that's a number that i've mentioned quite a bit on here that our friends over at football outsiders put out that puts uh basically pass rush numbers and pass rush efficiency into to one easy to reference number and then chicago's defensive line they have the second highest adjusted sack rate so basically a a really good pass rush versus a line that has uh struggled to pass to pass protect and they have a couple injuries on the offensive line now as well so uh with hunley back there he's he's one of four active quarterbacks with uh interception rate above four percent so uh pressures a quarterback that is throwing interceptions at a high rate that uh that equals a lot of fantasy points right and again for people that you know maybe aren't following some of these less popular nfl teams as closely as they would like to you know the chicago bears actually have a pretty good defense they rank 13th in overall defensive dvoa 10th against the pass, 15th against the rush and they've actually played the fourth hardest schedule in the league that's per football outsiders Dot com. So the Bears, it's not just we're trying to target Brett Hunley. This is actually a pretty solid defense. Um, for my kicker, Ryan Suckup of the Tennessee Titans, 4,800 on FanDuel. The Titans are four and a half point favorites. Their implied total is 22 and a half. The Cincinnati Bengals actually rank dead last in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to kickers. And it kind of makes sense because the Bengals are one of those teams where they tend to play in a lot of these kind of low scoring games. Their defense is okay, but it's not amazing. And what ends up happening is they give up a a lot of field goals. They are actually third worst team in the league and third down conversion rate, 48.9% over their last three games. Um, and on the season, they're fourth worst. Uh, sorry, they're, they're 21st out of, uh, out of the 32 teams. So the Bears, I mean, excuse me, the, the Titans should get some, some opportunities to kind of stay on the field, convert some third downs early in the drive and, and move into field goal range, uh, for their kicker. And, you know, Ryan Suckup, I'm not, he's not usually a popular kicker, um, just because he's not a big name. So I don't think his ownership will even exceed double digits in this one, but he's in a very, very good spot for kickers against the best kicker matchup on the slate. But fantasy football fans, listen up. It's not too late to download the highest rated fantasy football app draft, play in a real live snake draft, but be done in under five minutes. And they last for just one week. Drafts start every couple of minutes. So you can join one right now for week 10. The best part, play for cold, hard cash. And get this, your chances of winning are 80% better than on the salary cap sites. All new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit, but you have to use the promo code 4 for 4. That's right, play a real money game for free just by using the promo code 4 for 4. That's the number 4, the letters F O R and the number 4 and it gets even better. Draft is so sure 
You'll love it that they're even offering DFS MVP listeners a money back guarantee up to $100. Just search draft in your app store or go to draft.com. Come play free right now with promo code four for four. Let's get into our primetime slate. We have the unique pricing on both sites. We have the New England Patriots, a seven and a half point favorite in mile high against the Denver Broncos. That is an implied score of 27 to 19.5 Patriots. Then we have the Miami Dolphins going to Carolina to take on the Panthers. The Dolphins are 10 point underdogs in this one. The implied score we have is 24.75 for the Panthers and 14.75 for the Miami Dolphins. So let's start at quarterback where Jay Cutler is obviously the play this week, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you gave me a, a little bit of a tough time for, for liking Cuddy last week, but, uh, he's, he's off the board this week in the primetime slate. I mean, we just kind of looking over everything. I think you and I are, are pretty much in lockstep with how we're analyzing, uh, this slate. It's, it's sometimes even on these short slates there, there's a few different roster combos or, or, uh, off the board picks you can make, but I think this week it's, it's really just going to come down to, uh, one or two pivot plays. I mean, we have, we have Tom Brady and Cam Newton that are, are clearly the top quarterbacks this week. Um, you, I think you'll give a pretty good reason why you think Brady's clearly, uh, the number one play, but you mentioned that we have unique pricing on the slate this week. And I mean, uh, a lot of times on this, uh, on these short slates, it comes down to not exploiting matchups or, or the best play, but, uh, kind of how these players are priced and how that's going to uh, affect ownership. And it's really interesting. It's it's not often that you see this dramatic of a swing on a short slate, but um, Tom Brady, $700 more than Cam Newton on DraftKings. Cam Newton's $400 more on FanDuel. So that's uh, obviously a, a flip-flop there, but I think what that's going to do is it's going to drive Cam's ownership on FanDuel down a, a little bit more than it should be, even though there's only two viable quarterbacks. So I, I think um, probably having closer to equal shares of Cam on FanDuel uh, relative to DraftKings is, is the way to attack that this week. Right, and going back to Brady, the reason I really like Brady this week, even against a tough Denver defense, is because Denver has been better against the run than the pass. Their second in run de- defense DVOA, only 15th in pass defense DVOA. And in the past, we have seen Bill Belichick when he's going up against a tough defense that can stop the run. We've seen him completely abandon the run game. I mean, in 2015 against the Broncos, this is before their run defense really kind of fell off last year, but they went with 42 passes and 16 rushing attempts. And they also did something similar to that against the New York Jets in week seven, I believe it was, of of that same season where they went with 54 pass attempts and only nine rushing attempts. And, and, and four of the rushing attempts were Tom Brady. So I think this is a situation where you could see Bill Belichick just completely abandoned the run. I mean, none of their backs have really stepped up in the running game as of yet. It's kind of been going back and forth. They started with Gillisley, then they got Deion Lewis into the mix, and Rex Burkhead had a bigger role in their last game. So I really like Tom Brady here because I think 
He's going to use his backs in the passing game a ton, get a lot of easy completions, get a ton of volume. And also the one other place where the Denver Broncos defense happens to struggle, and we saw this with the late pivot to Trey Burton last week after Zach Ertz was ruled out, but the Broncos defense really struggles against tight ends. And Rob Gronkowski, obviously, Tom Brady's highest upside target. So if you have a good matchup for Gronk and, you know, 28th and tight end schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed are the Broncos against the tight end position. And, and you have a good matchup for Gronk and you have a potentially extremely high volume game for Brady. I think that just makes him the best uh, quarterback play on the slate. Yeah. I mean, the, the way that the Broncos filter uh, passes to the tight ends combined with Chris Hogan out and possibly, I don't know if he's completely ruled out yet, but uh looks like he's going to be out. And then uh, Brandon cooks, just such a boomer bust play. Like Gronk is, it's one of those spots on the short slate where you're going to have to have extremely high ownership on him. I, I mean, it, it also depends on how many, uh, uh, how many lineups you're running out. But if, if you're running out, say 20 lineups, I mean, you're probably gonna want Gronk in about 15 of them. But uh, I mean, looking at Brady versus Cam and just kind of gauging these offenses as a whole, uh, even though Denver has, has, has a good defense, um, they have allowed a lot of teams to go over their implied total six now uh, this, this year. And uh, I alluded to that last week. And a lot of that has to do with, um, they ran a relatively fast-paced offense. Both the the Patriots and the Broncos uh, rank in the top ten in neutral pace, which is another number you could find over at FootballOutsiders.com. But on the other end of the spectrum, we have uh, Miami and Carolina. Miami ranks thirty-first in neutral pace. So they're trying to they they realize that their offense isn't that great. I think, and they have been trying to slow the game down. And uh, I, I think Adam Gase is he's been talking about how much he wants to get that running game going. And Carolina is a really slow-paced team too. I think they rank twenty-sixth uh, or twenty-seventh in neutral pace, and and we've seen that in their games. Um, only three Miami games have hit the over this this entire year. So. Uh, definitely a, another um, a number just to kind of slide us in the direction of New England, not just looking at those implied point totals or just looking at the spread. Speaking of the Broncos offense, any interest in Brock Osweiler? He's down there at 4,600 on DK. The Patriots are ranked 30th in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to the tight end. I mean, excuse me, to the quarterback position. Now, they have been playing better lately, but I, I do think Cutler is kind of out of the mix against this strong Carolina defense. So um, any interest in, in Osweiler? I, I think the way to attack the Broncos passing game this uh, this week and more specifically the, the New England secondary is realizing that Denver does have this very concentrated passing attack that we've talked about in the past. Uh, highest percentage in the league of their passes go to their wide receivers. And now with Emmanuel Sanders back on the field, we know that those passes are pretty much going to go exclusively to Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. So I think people uh, need to take a step back and realize that because of the way fantasy scoring works, that you can have two wide receivers have a pretty decent fantasy game while the, the quarterback's still underwhelming. And that's going to be even uh, more true because because they have this concentrated passing attack. So what I'm going to do is flip-flop my uh, Demarius and Emmanuel shares. I mean, Demarius has, has been the favorite receiver um, of Brock Osweiler, but uh, but that's going to 
drive down ownership of Sanders probably. So I'm, I'm either going to stack them together in some game stacks where, uh, I mean, that, those game stacks are just something that's just a, a strategy you want to implement in these short slates. And then uh, where I'm not game stacking, I'm probably just going to flip flop my Denver receivers there. Yeah. So uh, speaking of these Denver receivers and how fantasy scoring works, um, how fantasy scoring works is touchdowns are six points and Demarius <laughs> has one of them. Demarius just scored his first touchdown last week in his last 15 games. Now, I'm just curious, like, do you have a preference for these receivers? Um, do you think, because as you alluded to, Thomas has been the preferred target of Osweiler. He, in 2015, and, and this is, keep in mind, this is two seasons ago, totally different offensive coordinator. So, you know, just kind of looking here for, you know, just, just to kind of see what's going on. I don't know how predictive these numbers are or anything, but uh, when they were both on the field together, Thomas was targeted 29% of the time by Osweiler, Sanders 19% of the time. And that kind of carried over to last week where Thomas 12 targets, Sanders only five. I know Sanders is coming back for the injury, but Thomas just really has struggled to get into the end zone. Do you attribute his touchdown last week to Osweiler becoming the quarterback? And do you have any preference uh, for either of them? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard to to attribute a single score to a quarterback. But I mean, even though you're going back to um, an old offense, an old offensive coordinator, I, I don't think you can discount um, just that connection we've seen of uh, it's a lot of times it's just these bad quarterbacks just lock onto a player. And, and Brock's obviously one of those bad quarterbacks, whereas, um, you know, obviously good quarterbacks have their favorite receivers too, but they're going to take advantage of matchups and situations more. Uh, and I think it just could be one of these situations where uh, Brock just likes DT a lot more. Now, I do think we need to pay attention to like last week, Emmanuel Sanders just still wasn't hundred percent, but there. Thomas did show up on the injury report with a hamstring injury. He didn't practice today. So that's something we have to monitor throughout the week. I mean, if, if it looks like Emmanuel Sanders is practicing more than Thomas is leading up to the game, it might be a situation where you use that as your tiebreaker and end up playing more Sanders. Yeah, that's a good call. I like to, in general, look at practice reports, especially for wide receivers, just because, you know, when a quarterback is able to throw to a guy, you know, all oh, week in practice and kind of work on some timing and some, some routes, I think that, kind of gives them a leg up in the game. I remember earlier this year, I think it was the the first week of the season or, you know, Marcus Mariota hadn't been practicing all that much with, with a lot of his wide receivers for the Titans because those guys were all banged up. And I believe Mariota was a little banged up and uh, they, they kind of came out really sluggish early in the season uh, before turning it around a little bit. So I um, definitely think that is a good tiebreaker. Um, some of these other wide receivers probably don't want to touch too much of Brandon Cooks because he'll have to deal with the no-fly zone, Chris Harris, Akeem Tlaib, the Broncos corners. But in Miami, they're a 10-point underdog, so you figure at some point they're probably going to be throwing the ball now. We kind of talked about this last week where there's this dynamic where you kind of – in cash games, I think we, we had the, the Lions on the slate, and it was like, okay, well, Golden Tate's probably the, the clear choice in cash games, but tournaments kind of like Marvin Jones more because getting targeted deeper down the field and kind of getting similar volume. And is that kind of how you're looking at this Miami passing game as well? Because I, I think I like Devontae Parker a lot more than Jarvis Landry in tournaments just because he's getting targeted over double the amount of yardage down the field um, as Landry, and he pretty much just pops off the screen every time I see him play as, as well. Yeah, the, 
the way I mean, even though Miami is is probably going to end up in a spot where they have to throw a lot, it, this Carolina defense is just isn't one that they're going to be able to to chip away at at all. I mean, Carolina ranks ranks top ten and against every skill position and schedule just to fantasy points allowed. So it's not like they have this glaring weakness anywhere that they need to protect. They can really just kind of. Uh, uh, keep the keep the foot on the pedal and and keep pressing on on defense and I think that's going to be the case and if Miami does end up with with the play it's going to have to be a splash play so if I'm touching those receivers I, I think it has to be Parker and I think Landry's target share um, even though it's going to look attractive and and that narrative makes sense that they're gonna have to be throwing I this Carolina defense isn't one that you can just uh, dink and dunk and chip away at right and if you just think about where Landry's gonna run a lot of his routes. I mean, Carolina does play a good amount of zone defense, um, perhaps not as much as under Sean McDermott, but still a good amount. Um, he's going to be dealing with, with with hits from Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis and Shaq Thompson over over that middle. So um, not exactly the greatest matchup for Landry. Perhaps Kenny Stills, another guy, he'll probably be relatively low owned compared to some of the other wide receivers if you're looking for a splash play. Um, splash, on the other side of the ball, you know, Carolina only had three players catch passes last week. Christian McCaffrey, uh, Devin Funches, and Curtis Samuel. So that's kind of how you can look to attack that. I think Samuel, I mentioned him last week, didn't quite come through, but he's he's probably going to break out sooner than later. So if you're looking for a cheap source of s- some upside, I think you definitely want to take a look at Samuel and, of course, McCaffrey. Any other of these running backs, you know, we know – we know McCaffrey's probably the top play here, just volume, you know, pass catching, all of that stuff. Um, did better in the running game last week, which was something Carolina thought would happen if they got Benjamin off the field and put Samuel, a faster guy, on the field. So, but we have, you know, Kenyon Drake and we have Damian Williams for the Dolphins against this tough defense. You know, Drake played more steps, 55%, got more touches than Williams, 15 to 13 last week. We also have Rex Burkhead. Um, seven targets in his last game. James White, six targets in his last game for the Patriots. And then we have a three-headed monster in Denver where Booker, uh, CJ Anderson, and Jamal Charles all played about a third of the snaps in their last game. So among, uh, all those running backs, does anyone particularly stand out? Because you got to fill at least one other running back slot. Yeah, I mean, Christian McCaffrey is pretty clearly the RB1 on this slate. Um, only player besides Antonio Brown that has seen at least 20% of his team targets eight times this year. Uh, but I mean, after that, I I want to attack the, the Patriots pass catching backs and it would have been James White, but the, the uh, Rex Burkhead workload in their last game uh, really threw a wrench in things there. I think probably just based on, on the uh, entirety of the season, I would give White the edge, but uh, with with a lot of pause, I'm not going to be able to dominate my rosters with him. And then, uh, as far as the Broncos running backs go, I mean, the Patriots are are a bad pass defense, but they just have holes in their defense. I, I think that, um, like you said, you're going to have to roster a second running back somewhere. It's going to depend a lot on C.J. Anderson. Uh, you mentioned they they split up uh, snaps last week. He got hurt in the middle of the game, went off the field. It looks like it was a bad injury, and I think he came back on to the field, but uh, he was limited in practice today, so it's it's going to depend on his health a lot. I think if he ends up starting, um, I'll probably throw a couple darts with him, but like you said, just for the simple fact that you have to play a second running back somewhere. Yeah, I think the two I like the most are Burkhead, just because I think his role, you know, he had been hurt a little bit, um, you know, kind of seeing his usage spike a little bit. Um, just with 
mixed with his talent, the fact that he can run the ball a little bit as well. He's probably the only Patriots back at this point that is equally good in the running and passing game. Um, for some reason, they don't, they're not giving Deion Lewis many targets anymore. I'm not sure exactly why he was good in the passing game in 2015, but for, they're kind of treating him almost like Gillisley or Blunt this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so just kind of seeing, seeing Burkhead's you should spike. Maybe I can kind of get out in front of that. You know, it's always, you're kind of just throwing darts at this Patriots running game situation. And then for the Broncos, I mean, it's hard to hang your hat on anything. I, I like CJ, but I, I'll probably go, you know, just for contrarian sake, uh, Devontae Booker, just because he's just looked the best and the freshest uh, out of the running backs. I mean, we know Jamal Charles is up there in age. Um, CJ just, he's always, this has been the story of his career. When he's healthy, CJ Anderson is, is one of the better running backs in the league, but he tends, after a few games, he tends to get dinged up and he's not a good player when he gets dinged up. I remember I ran some numbers on it, not this year, but last year. And I, he was like one of the worst kind of differences between when he's healthy or when he's on the injury report. So, um, you know, just something to think about there. Uh, we're actually going to do something different this week. Um, we're going to create a little, a DraftKings lineup for the primetime slate. Um, we'll go back and forth, each making a pick. So we'll start with TJ so he can get five picks. I'll get four. And uh, let me pull up the DraftKings lineup. I guess we'll, we'll throw this lineup in the uh, $5, uh, 700K Sunday Night Spectacular on DraftKings, 100K, two first place. So um, TJ, who you got to start off this lineup? Yeah, I'll just go with the uh, top play on the slate and uh, plug in Tom Brady. Cool. I'll go stacking with Gronk then. Gronk, I like it. So we have uh, we have seven slots remaining, an average of fifty five zero one four. All right, I'm 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 gonna go with uh, some value because I'm not sure if we're gonna be able to get the running back one in with these two guys in the lineup. So um, I'm going to assume that Emmanuel Sanders practices more and Demaryius Thomas is higher owned and plug in Manny Sanders. All right, I will go with the Panthers defense. So now we're at, we have four guys. We have Brady, Sanders, Gronk, Panthers. Uh, we have two running back slots, two wide receivers, and a flex, and we have 5180 average. Um, I'll, I'll go with your uh, suggestion on, on the second best running back on the slate. I'll, I'll go Rex Burkhead. All right. So we got the Brady, Burkhead, Gronk stack. I'm going to go ahead and put in McCaffrey, and we'll see how we deal with it. <laughs> okay. So now we're actually not bad. We're at, we have two wide receivers and a flex left, and we're at uh 50-33 average remaining so that's not bad all right well this is going to be a, a unpredictable one every week but he's going to hit it sometime so uh curtis samuel at 3700 nice all right so let's see we got 5700 remaining for two players let's see who we 5, got 700 per player yeah so we, yep. we're, we're we're in really good shape mm-hmm. um i am going to go with Devonte Parker, even against this tough defense of the Panthers, sixty two hundred. So that leaves us. Hold on, let me that, put him in the. That leaves us fifty two hundred right, so dollars. Yep, flex play. For a flex. Um, so you can go. We got the guys who can fit are Kenyon Drake, Damian Williams, James White, Kenny Stills, Deion Lewis, Philip Dorsett. C.J. Anderson, Jamal Charles, Devontae Booker, D'Angelo Henderson, Benny Fowler, who's questionable, Mike Gillisley, Ed Dixon, Jonathan Stewart, Brenton Burson, and a whole bunch of other 3K guys. Uh, Julius Thomas at 29, A.J. Derby at 28, Virgil Green at 25, um, and Hireman at 25 at tight end. Yeah, I think I think given this lineup, uh, Parker Samuel, I mean, I want a little bit of a workload here. 
Um, it's not horrible to leave uh, quite a bit of money on, on the table in a short slate. I think if we were locked into this lineup and couldn't make any adjustments with salary, uh, CJ Anderson would be my play here. All right. So we got, we got a 1200 left over. The lineup is Brady, Burkhead, McCaffrey, Sanders, Samuel, Parker, Gronk, CJ, and the Carolina Panthers. So I'll go submit that, but see how that, see how that goes. Interesting lineup. Um, let's get into the bowl calls and then get out of here. TJ, who you got for a game bowl call? A game bowl call. I'm going to go against your crumbling New York Giants and say San Francisco gets the <laughs> first win of the season. That's interesting because I, uh, I've kind of been the Giants attack the Giants whisperer. Um, <laughs> a lot of people on Twitter, a lot of tw- people on Twitter are hitting me up this week. Like I, I try not to check my tweets on Sunday just because I like to kind of focus on the games and, you know, just get away for a little bit. Um, but I came in on Monday and I'm looking at my tweets and all I see are these people like, oh my God, you called like this Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, Sammy Watkins stack. Um, I, same thing with Melvin Gordon, but it's funny because this week I I actually think the Giants are going to win this game um pretty handily. I thought uh I thought the spread was interesting when it opened. It was Forty Nine ers were favored. Um, now I think the Giants are favored. Yeah, um, it's been jumping now. between like right. So I mean, yeah, it's obviously you know there's it, it, on paper there's no like clear advantages, but um you know I I, I would just kind of I, I I think the Giants with their veteran. Um, you know, veteran quarterback, um, more veterans on the field. I thought they'll win this game. So it'll be interesting to see. You you actually hit your bowl call last week, I believe, with the um with the Eagles, right? You said mm-hmm. the Eagles are gonna put forty on the Broncos or thir- 30, 40, I said, one of those. I said they'll be the first uh, team to go over thirty on the Broncos and and they really outdid it. I should have said forty, that would have sounded way cooler. Yeah, man. So I mean you got you got the upper hand in these in these bowl calls, but uh yeah, definitely thought the uh think the Giants are going to to win this ball game. Um for my team bowl call and then we'll get into the player um i'm I'm gonna say that miami is actually going to be shut out for the third time this season they already been shut out um you know again by the saints and the uh ravens and they came within a a, a timeout and a last second second Devontae parker touchdown from being shut out against the jets and this carolina panther defense you mentioned it tj um they're fifth overall in dvoa they are the only defense that is top seven both versus the run in the past in DVLA and I, I just really don't see uh, Miami being able to move the ball much or stay on the field Carolina allowing the lowest third down rate over their past three games of any team in the league 22.9 percent and the Dolphins have the second worst uh, third down rate on the season on the road at 26.7 percent so I, I think the Dolphins are going to have a lot of three and outs and I think if they try to test this this defense um, that Carolina is going to be able to make some plays. I, I, I mentioned that I think Jarvis Landry probably have a tough time taking some hits over the middle. So going with that shutout, um, who you got for a player bowl call, TJ? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with my uh, 49ers get their win. And uh, I think uh, Garrett Selleck is going to be a top five fantasy tight end this week. Uh, the, we have uh, George Kittle out. Got Pierre Garcon out. Uh, we saw the 49ers just go really heavy on the short passes last week. Um, I believe Selleck and, and Kittle combined for uh, six catches. And then uh, Carlos Hyde was targeted nine times. So uh, a lot of really short passes in the San Francisco offense. 
offense last week. The Giants ranked 31st in tight end adjusted fantasy points allowed. No teams allowed more touchdowns to the tight ends than the Giants. And San Francisco has the seventh highest red zone passing rate in the league. Haven't been very successful in converting those passes into touchdowns. But uh, as I mentioned, I, I think Niners get their first win. I think Garrett Selleck has a good game. I mean, a good thing about this bold call is even if they're behind, I think Selleck still benefits because he's going to sure. be that guy just catching passes over the middle. But Giants allowing 18.1 schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to the tight end position, and Garrick Selleck is a tight end. And he's <laughs> pretty much the he's the only one, I think, on the roster right now. Cole Hikatini went on IR, and George Kittle has already been ruled out. So I do I think, think they, you're I think going they signed Logan Paulson last week, but I don't think I'm too worried about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's pretty much a blocker at this point <laughs> in his career. Um, but yeah, I'm actually going in the same game. So we definitely disagree on how this game script is going to go. But I think Orleans Darqua is going to have over 20 fantasy points in this game. I think um, he's going to have his highest volume game of the season. He's been highly efficient for the Giants this season since they've kind of switched their offense around. They're kind of going with the heavier sets, not going in that 1-1 personnel that was so predictable. And it's been working for Darqua. And the reason, uh, going back to just why I think the Giants are going to have some success in this game is, uh, you, you look at the 49ers and, and they have, you know, I think the, the spread, even when it initially favored the, the 49ers was kind of, you know, it was less than a three point spread. So that kind of tells you the Giants are, people think the Giants are the better team, but, um, you know, home field advantage going to the Niners. But I mean, what is a home field advantage when you have CJ Bethard? I mean, if he has three and outs, they're just going to boo him, right? Like, that's not, sure. that's not an, that's not an advantage. So, um, but, 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 the, but going back to the Niners defense, um, they have allowed a 55.8% third down conversion rate at home this year. That is worse than any other team in the league and worse than any other team has allowed even on the road. Um, so I think, um, I just think the Giants will be, to, will be able, excuse me, to stay on the field longer um, than they usually do. We know they don't really have a good offense. And also, I think a key injury for the 49ers, Jaqueski Tart, the safety, yeah. really instrumental in, in, in covering tight ends. Um, if you guys kind of wondering why the 49ers, you always see them as one of the top matchups, for, uh, the worst matchups for tight end. Um, it's, it's been a lot to do with Tart and he's out. So I think the Giants are going to be able to kind of, you know, move the ball, convert some third downs with Engram and, and Shepard and, and, and Onoal Darkwell to get some volume I don't think that takes away from Selleck at all I do I do like Selleck a lot um as a play in that game maybe even correlate them a little bit um with with, with the Giants defense and Dark or something like that but um good podcast a lot of great information um be sure to rate and review the podcast if you liked it and you will get a 25% discount on a 444 DFS subscription if you send a screenshot to DFS MVP at 444.com. Um, TJ dropping a lot of knowledge on the podcast. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. That's T-J-H-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z. Follow me on Twitter at Chris Raybon. That's C-H-R-I-S-R-A-Y-B-O-N. Um, also, be sure to check out, if you like this podcast, the most accurate podcast with John Paulson. Um, he, him and Anthony Stalter do one for season long um, on 444. You can find it on the 444.com homepage. Any last words, TJ? Just try to wild out with this money. Get this money, get this money. Every check I deposit is just a new in the closet in the big one. Your brother and your pops quick might take one to get y'all both. I'ma make sure I hit y'all.
And whoever's left guaranteed he getting it all Cause his could've ran when I was licking it y'all I get rap money plus I'm in the hood with dimes And I ain't got no felonies, I'm good with crimes Not all that with but I'm good with Great with I eat your face And I got a hungry lawyer that'll eat the case I used to so heavy that the block got mad Then start calling up the cops like calves My 16s make go to the dorm Lock in and work out Then come out in the morning Wild out and blow it Just cause it's boring Wild out Yeah. 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 Yeah.